once again back at the Star Conference in 2018, Shakespeare Theater Association Conference hosted by Cincinnati Shakespeare here in the beautiful Queen City of Cincinnati. And I'm again talking to my old friend, uh, Kate Powers, uh, director extraordinaire who we have, you've heard on the podcast as, a, as uh, who, uh, a person who works in prisons, RTA, Rehabilitation Through the Arts program, and she's directed um, Death of a Salesman, and she's directed Our Town, and we talked about those, and they were amazing, powerful productions. Now she is doing a new project. She's the founder and the artistic director of the Redeeming Time Project, a program for prisoners, right? Have I described that correctly at all? Mostly. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. Thanks for subscribing, streaming, or downloading and listening to us on your computer or tablet or phone. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast number 580, Redeeming Time Project. This was my second year in a row of attending the Shakespeare Theater Association Conference, and as always, like it is when I go to the Edinburgh Fringe, it was a treat to see friends and colleagues I don't run into anywhere else or at any other time of the year. My previous podcast chats with Kate Powers were conducted via Skype, so it was great to sit down together in person on a relatively quiet staircase in the Cincinnati Hilton so she could tell me all about her current work. Redeeming Time Project uh, uses Shakespeare to effect positive change for the incarcerated and hopefully eventually the formerly incarcerated. Well, and that's the trick, isn't it? The, the formerly incarcerated. You're not only doing good work because it's good work, you can prove that it's good work because yes. the recidivism rates are so low. And can you explain what that means and why that is? Right. So uh, the national recidivism rate is about 68%, which means that within two years of release from prison, 68% of the people that we incarcerate are back in the system for a new crime or a parole violation. And in fact, that's a falsely low number because after two years, uh, we don't count it as a repeat offense, we call it, count it as a new crime. Oh, um, so so the number is even larger, which means that we're not uh, giving anybody the tools to re-enter society and be successful. Uh, we're just punishing people. It's just retribution. Uh, but men who participate in prison performing arts programs like Shakespeare Behind Bars, like Rehabilitation Through the Arts, and now the Redeeming Time Project, across the country, men who participate in those programs, the recidivism rate drops from that national average of 68% to less than 5%. Um, and then one of the things that we saw rehabilitation through the arts at Sing Sing Prison where uh, you can get a GED or an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree is that after a few years involved in the theater program, uh, men who've been told their whole lives that they're stupid and that they're thugs and that uh, they are not smart enough for school discover that if they can stand up in front of 600 class A felons and speak Shakespeare, they can probably also get their degree. And men who earn their bachelor's degree while they're incarcerated, their four-year degree, the recidivism rate is literally zero. So we are a gateway drug to college and it is the uh, prison to college pipeline. There's so much of what you just said so beautifully and swiftly <laughs> um, that I want to unpack. But the, but the first thing that I, that, that I think about is that part of me goes, oh, wow, what a great time to be alive. It's a boom time for Shakespeare in prisons. Aren't we living in a great time? I mean, you're part of at least three Shakespeare in Prisons projects, and you're doing amazing work. 
yes, that's amazing, but how awful is it that you have to do this amazing work? Right. So the United States incarcerates more people per capita than any other country on the planet. 25% uh, of the people who are incarcerated on planet Earth are in U.S. prisons. Um, we come ahead of Syria. We come ahead of Nicaragua. We, yay, American exceptionalism. Yeah, make America imprisoned again. Mm. Um, um, so unfortunately, what I mean, what that means is my program isn't going to be obsolete anytime soon. Yeah. How, how, how do you pay for this? <laughs> Let me say that again. Do you pay for it? <laughs> um, so the Redeeming Time Project is brand new. It was born uh, in April of 2017. Um, we, uh, we did a Kickstarter last summer to get us off the ground. Uh, so I was able to pay a teaching artist uh, this fall. Um, and uh, we're, now that we've completed our first program, we can start to apply for grants. Um, one of the challenges uh, that Kurt Toefland, uh, you know, founder of Shakespeare Behind Bars and kind of the patriarch of this work, has always said is you can't take money from the Department of Corrections because all it takes is one conservative politician who starts to scream, why are these murderers getting free Shakespeare? And then there, if that money is uh, your existential funds, then your program stops. Right. So uh, the arrangement that I made with the Department of Corrections in the state of Minnesota is that they're going to reimburse us for transportation. So they literally pay us IRS gas mileage reimbursement. Right. Right. That's it. And then, uh, which is enough money to cover photocopying costs and things like that, right? Um, or buying books for the men. Um, and uh, we'll start to grow from there. So yeah, it'll take a while. So let's talk about because um, um, I know you, I know you to be. We, I first met you as a director of Shakespeare, and right. and yet the first the other two productions that we've talked about on the podcast were Our Town and Death of a Salesman. Right. So now you're getting to work, at least you're getting to talk to me about your work with right. Shakespeare in prisons. Why Shakespeare? What's what's why is Shakespeare the awesomest? You know, for this kind of work. Right. Well, I think the thing about Shakespeare is fundamentally he teaches us what it means to be human. Right. He shows us. Uh, humanity at its best and humanity at its absolute worst and most capricious and most villainous. Uh, and so uh, one of the things that Shakespeare does for the incarcerated and indeed for all of us is uh, he gives us an opportunity to think about who we want to be in the world and gives us an opportunity to imagine other people in really rich detail, right? And for men who in some cases have committed very violent crimes, he gives them language to explore what they've done uh, sometimes before they're ready to use their own words to talk about it, and, and, and also opportunities to practice empathy. Is there a language barrier? I mean, there is for professional actors. Sure. I guess, how do you overcome the language barrier? Right. So, like, the program, uh, the workshop that I taught in the fall, uh, the first several weeks, the men kept saying, well, there's a right way to do Shakespeare. We, we, have, to get the, we have to get it right. Um, and so, there's, so there's a competitive aspect to their work. Right. But, and, and they have this perception that there's a categorically right way and anything else is abject failure. Right. Right. Um, and so they're trying to figure out, like, can I, can, do I need a British accent? Right. They've got these preconceived ideas which kind of live in the larger culture. Right. Sure. Um, and so a lot of my work in those first few weeks is just trying to dismantle that and disabuse them of that idea that there's a right way, you know, um, because really the work is, you know, Shakespeare's a tool that we're using for self-reflection. 
right? Yeah. And for practicing empathy and developing critical thinking skills and tolerating ambiguity and difference. Um, and but that, all of that is true about theater generally. I, I, I mean, a little bit. You know, people have oh, I want to get it right. I want to get it right. Sure. And and yes, but what, Shakespeare teaches us what it teaches us what it means to be human. How? Oh, um, uh, because, well, you've got somebody like Richard III who says, I am not shaped for sportive tricks, therefore I will turn a villain, right? And you've got Prince Hal saying, uh, you know, like bright metal on a sullen ground, I'm going to rise up from this and I will so offend to make offense a skill. Redeeming time when men think least I will, right? So you, you can really look at every every possible motivation and every possible condition in which a human being might find themselves uh, in those plays. Um, so uh, you know the the men start to wrangle with it. We were talking uh, this fall about. Um, I was doing kind of this quick intro to iambic pentameter, right? And I always start with making everybody listen to their pulse for a minute, yeah, right? And what's it doing? And you know, first they look at me like, that's a trick question. What do you, what do you mean, what's it doing? Like, uh, and then somebody will start to say, it's going da-dum, 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 right? And then we start to beat that out a little bit. And then we say a line of verse. And one of the guys, as we were kind of getting our heart, our heads around this idea that Shakespeare wrote the human heartbeat into each line of pentameter said, Shakespeare's cold. Right? And then he starts to own a little tiny piece of Shakespeare understanding, right? And one of the things about Shakespeare, I think, that's so great in, in these environments is, again, a lot of these men, you know, there might be literacy issues, there might be, they've been told that they're stupid. They know they've been told that they're failures as humans, right? Because otherwise they wouldn't be in that environment. They get treated like second-class citizens or maybe like animals a great deal of the time. And so once they start to take some ownership of Shakespeare and see what resonates for them, their relationship to culture as a whole, and I don't mean, you know, stained glass and oh yeah, no, kind of no. culture, but all of culture starts to shift and things start to belong to them. One of the men at Sing Sing when we were doing Twelfth Night in 2016 said to me, uh, a guy who was deeply skeptical when we first started, and he said, he was like, how are the guys, you know, meaning the, the incarcerated audience, he was like, how are they going to understand it if they don't have five months of rehearsal like we do? And I said, because you're going to be so clear in your thought that you're going to invite them on the journey with you. And he looked at me very dubiously, and he, uh, there was as if to say, well, I like you, Kate, but you might be full of crap. In over your head. Yeah, bit. right. Yeah. Um, but then the week that we performed, uh, we, and we, at Sing Sing, we performed twice for the incarcerated audience and then once for an invited civilian audience, which is comprised loosely of essentially one-third family members of the men and one-third uh, white people who write checks and one-third politicians and corrections officials, right? Uh, so three very diverse groups, right, or disparate groups, I should say. Um, but anyway, so the week of the performance, he said to me, he was like, Kate, Kate, I just realized Shakespeare's for everybody, and I almost missed him. I always thought Shakespeare was just for white people. Um, and now Shakespeare belonged to him, right? Um, and uh, another one of the men, his mom went out the next day and bought Hamlet because she loved Twelfth Night so much and she wanted to know what Hamlet was about. And so she went out and got it. Yo, 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 it's the Q Brothers. And we on that. And you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company Podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. 
Where can you RSC the RSC? This week, our 2018 tour of William Shakespeare's long-lost first play, Abridged, continues in Tallahassee, Florida. Then next week in both South Padre Island, Texas and Livermore, California. Followed by performances in Bluebell, Pennsylvania, Hayes, Kansas, Indianapolis, Indiana, La Crosse and Madison, Wisconsin, the New Victory Theater in New York City, and the Pittsburgh Public Theater next June. We'll also be doing one performance of the Bible, the complete word of God abridged, in Orono, Maine in March. And Pop-Up Shakespeare is in its second printing and continues to be on sale worldwide. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office venue and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with Kate Powers, who was telling me about the steps leading up to her creation of the Redeeming Time Project. So the first uh, workshop this past fall um, was, the goal was that over the course of 12 weeks, uh, we were gonna meet Shakespeare and everybody was gonna work on a monologue. And we, we offered that the first piece would be a, a piece we would develop together. And so every week we worked a little bit uh, in different ways on O for a Musifier, uh, because that's the speech which tells us what theater is, right? And sort of teaches the audience that on their imaginary forces we need to work, right? And we need them to participate, yeah. uh, that they're not just passive, right? So we worked on that one together and then we brought in a packet with uh, 20 different monologues for them to choose from. Some soliloquies from Shakespeare, uh, some monologues from August Wilson plays, and some from Edgar Lee Masters' Spoon River Anthology. Uh, And some of them were very short, so that if a guy had a great deal of anxiety, he could take a very tiny bite. And then we also had Brutus's It Must Be By His Death, which is really asking the question, is there such a thing as a moral murder, right? So they could have as big a bite or as small a bite as they please. Uh, But one of the men came to me, uh, and he said, there's a piece I want to do, and it's not in the packet. And I said, okay, uh, what is it? And he said, well, I don't know. (laughs) And I said, okay. I said, well, do you know what play it's from? And he said, well, no, I don't know what play it's from. Uh, And I said, well, do you remember the name of the character? And he said, well, no, I don't remember. And I was like, okay, so we don't know the play and we don't know the character, but it's a piece you really want to do. And he said, well, when I was a kid, um, on Christmas Eve, we would have dinner and our neighbors would come. And then after dinner, one of our neighbors would stand up and he would do this speech. And then my dad would do Casey at the bat. And, you know, there was all of this uh, sort of shared performance. And he said, my dad is 80 years old and I've got nine more years on my sentence. And I don't know if I'm going to get home to celebrate another Christmas with my father while he's still living. So I'd like to learn this speech and at least do it for him on a visit someday. And so I said, okay, so we don't know what play, we don't know what character. I said, what do, what do you know? And he said, well, it's a king. And I said, well, that narrows it slightly, right? <laughs> not, not at all. Not at all, right? Narrows it, not at all. And I, and I said, well, what's the king doing? What, do you know what he's talking about? And he said, well, he's talking to the troops. And I said, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. And he goes, oh my God, how'd you know that? That's amazing. <laughs> and I said, well, it's not quite as amazing as it seems, but thanks. Um, and so I brought that speech in for him. And uh, as I say, we were starting with O for a Musifier, which is how the play Henry V begins, right, as a group piece, right? And then we sort of stacked up everybody kind of thematically mm-hmm. behind that. And I said, we're going to have you do your piece last, right, so that we'll finish with the St. Crispin Day speech, right? Uh, and if, if you're not familiar with it, you know, one of the lines in there says, be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And these are men who've been told 
on practically a daily basis that they are the most vile, yeah. right? Um, and then he says, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers, right? Um, so anyway, so I said to the rest of the men, I said, when you're persuaded by his argument, when you are ready to march into battle with him, even though the odds are against you and it's pretty likely you're all gonna die, stand up and join him. Um, and so the guys would slowly start to pop up as he did the speech, right? And then they started putting their arms around each other and then they said, can we cheer when he says this? And I said, sure, what do you want to cheer? And so we, it just it sort of grew into quite the coda yeah. on the thing, right? So, and then on the Monday before Christmas, we, perf we, we get permission and we actually perform the monologues in the visiting room for the families. Mm -hmm. And 80 year old dad comes uh -huh. and on the Monday before Christmas, he gets to fulfill this wish to perform the St. Crispin Day speech <laughs> for his dad. It's not often I get misty-eyed while recording a podcast, I have to say. I'm here to help. Thank you. <laughs> and not just because that's a beautiful story, but also I think of the little kid that he used to be and the whatever, the path he got on, the journey he took that brought him to that place. Yeah. Um, there's something about Shakespeare, in his monologues particularly, and I think this might be part of also the, what you said about um, uh, Shakespeare teaches us what it means to be human. You know, his characters, many of his characters, weigh pros and cons. Yes. They examine choices. Yes. Then they make choices, good and bad, right. but they weigh, and, I, and it seems like that's part of your work too. I think you might even have talked about this in a previous podcast. These prisoners are examining not only the play and making it work, but it, 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 but it, it leads them to examine choices that they've made that maybe that have brought them on this particular path. Right, and, and maybe even more than that, Austin, it's choices that they are gonna make. In the future. In the future. Yeah. Who do I want to be? Right. Do right. I want to be the man that I have been? Yeah. Or might I want to make some changes given that the man that I have been got yeah. my ass locked up? And do you think that's unique to Shakespeare? Or, I mean, or is there value in a lot of that work? Oh, there's a value. I think there's value in lots of pieces of material. You know, yeah. at Sing Sing, uh, um, the men pick the plays that we're going to do full productions right. of, right? Uh, we offer a little guidance, but the men choose. And one of the goals is always to find a piece that speaks to the, the incarcerated audience, right? That is somehow, not necessarily a moral exactly, but uh, we, want, we want plays that uh, are somehow talking to their circumstances. So when we were deciding, for instance, which Shakespeare play we were gonna do for 2016 for the 400th anniversary, for how, our way of participating in the 400th anniversary. The um, death-aversary. The death-aversary, yeah. right. Yay, still dead, like generally <laughs> Francisco Franco, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, what a thing to celebrate. Um, our hero, still dead. Um, um, but anyway, so uh, we were we had narrowed it down, and I was kind of lobbying for Twelfth Night, and there was a group of guys uh, in the in the population who were saying, "Let's do Othello." And I said, "I think I understand why you want to do Othello." And I said, "I just want to offer a couple thoughts about that." And I said, "If if you consider these thoughts and you decide you want to do it anyway, then." rock and roll but I said the first thing is uh, you have uh, a hero who is filled with such remorse for his actions at the end of the play that he decides to take his own life and I said is that a message we want to share with the population I said secondly you have a villain who has no remorse and uh, no repentance whatsoever and is that a message we want to share with the population and I said third you have a black man killing a white woman in bed and I said is that a battle you want me to fight with the warden um, and I said, if it is, I will go to bat and I will 
I will try to persuade him of why we're going to look at that and what that signifies because um, usually uh, movies that have that kind of subject matter are prohibited in the facility, right? Um, prison break movies are not allowed and movies with rapes and things like that yeah. in them are not allowed. Um, so that would be a separate battle, right? But anyway, so I said, I just want you to think about, you know, the politics of, or, the, you know, that that we have this the optics the optics of it but also you know that we have this history in this country of sort of branding black men yeah. with this sexual aggression and do we want to do we want to wrangle with that and i the other thing i said was othello not funny yeah right and if we have an audience which is apprehensive about their first encounter with shakespeare laughter's the gateway yeah right so if we can get them laughing Right, and sort of tangentially that I will just say uh, when we first started rehearsing, and we got to the box tree scene when when uh, Sir Toby Belch and Sir Andrew Aguicheek and Feste are eavesdropping on Malvolio with the letter that they've planted, right? The totally counterfeit letter that they've set up him up with, right? Uh, they the men, a couple of the men started to make faces at each other, and they were like they were shushing each other a little bit and shaking their heads, and um, and I looked around the room and I thought. Uh, they're finding the dirty bits and they don't quite trust and so I said I said nope that means exactly what you think it means and they were like no way it's like yep that is an oral sex joke and they were like Shakespeare made oral sex jokes <laughs> that's awesome see you next Tuesday <laughs>that's it for this week's reduced shakespeare company podcast send us your shakespeare gateways via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com you can also engage with us and other fans on facebook or twitter or instagram you can find easy links to all these social networks at our website reducedshakespeare.com you can also follow me on twitter at austin titchener kate powers is on twitter too at underscore plain kate underscore and Redeeming Time Project is on Twitter, too, at RedeemingTimePR. Thanks, as always, to Questionable Choices' Matthew Croak, Web Services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Laura at Millstone Mom on Twitter, who's the only one so far in this year of our Lord 2018 to leave a review of this podcast on iTunes, as I asked you all to do a few weeks ago. So there is a reason. This is not just a random fan shout-out. Special thanks to GQ and JQ, the Q brothers, who too have transformed Shakespeare into new and exciting projects like Othello the Remix and Q Gents. Check out their deal at qbrothersofficial.com. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 580 1740ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. I'll just ask you this one final question, uh, which is, have you yet read Margaret Atwood's Hagseed, um, her contribution to the Hogarth Shakespeare novels series? I have not, but I will tell you that at this particular Shakespeare Theatre Association conference, I have been asked that question five times. Uh, it's on my list, uh, and I know that it stirred up a little um, dust here as people were talking about it this week, because some folks uh, have had a really positive response to that book, uh, and a couple of my fellow prison arts practitioners uh, were appalled and repelled by it, um, uh, and said that they deemed it to be somewhat exploitive of uh, that community of souls. Um, so. I'm probably going to pick it up at the airport tomorrow and read it on the way home. And when you do, let's get together again and talk about it. I will report back. 
This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.